You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. Excited to be with you. We've got a lot to discuss. I'm your host, Stephen Igo. It is Thanksgiving Eve as I record this. It might be Thanksgiving as you're listening, so happy Thanksgiving. Or hope you had a great Thanksgiving if you're listening on Friday or Saturday morning leading into ECU's regular season finale. At Temple, as the Pirates go for their seventh win of the season, hoping to match last season's win total, then hoping to surpass it in a bowl game, wherever that may be. We've got questions from the audience, which is you, about a potential bowl appearance, where it could be. We've got baseball questions. The baseball schedule is out. And we're going to talk basketball. ECU, Michael Schwartz, has the Pirates off to a 5-1 and one start a 2-1 record in the Gulf Coast Showcase, beating both Toledo and UT Arlington the last two days. We'll talk about that as well. But first, I want to share with you guys, our listeners, who are not subscribers to the website, now is the time to sign up. We are running our Black Friday special from now through Monday night. 75% off an annual subscription. You can sign up now, pay the whole price up front. It comes out to less than 3 dollars per month on average cost you won't find a better deal anywhere this will take you through next year at this time and you may say well the football season's winding down why would i want to subscribe now no that is not what you should be saying this is the time to subscribe the transfer portal window is about to start in december december 5th is when the fbs transfer portal window opens it is going to be chaos it's going to be a flurry of action, and what we do on Hoist the Colors is, obviously we cover the games, those are important, but we cover all 365 days of the calendar, and what we do better than anybody else is cover recruiting, roster change. You want to know what next year's team is going to look like? Well, it's going to start forming on December 5th, if it hasn't already, and we're going to have reports on who the Pirates are offering, who's exiting the program, who's coming in. It's going to be chaos. I'm not a huge fan of the portal. 
and how it's changed college athletics, but from a news cycle standpoint, it means the news cycle is really just beginning. And so you'll have high school and JUCO recruiting ongoing. You'll have the portal recruiting. And obviously we've got bowl prep as well. So you'll get all that coverage leading to the leading into the December signing date, which is December 21st. And also you'll have transfers who want to get into school by January. So you'll have that. And you'll have another transfer portal window after spring ball. And then you got spring ball as well starting in March. And then you got another signing day in February. And it just goes on and on and on. And then you got summer workouts and you got a new season. So the cycle never stops. There's never a bad time to subscribe. Now is the time to subscribe. If you've been on the fence, I've been telling you guys, Black Friday special coming up soon. Well, it's here. Go to hoistacolors.net, join, and you won't be disappointed. If you're a longtime subscriber, in case you're not aware, you, as a full paying subscriber, get free access to Paramount Plus where you can stream all sorts of shows. That's our thank you to our longtime subscribers, many of whom got in on an original uh, deal similar to this as well. So if you sign up for the discount deal, you won't have access to Paramount Plus for free until you pay the full price, which is, you know, obviously would be a year down the line. But you do get the highly discounted rate and the opportunity to sign up now. So definitely check that out, hoistthecolors.net. All right, so we got ECU Temple talk. We got your questions. We got baseball schedule as well. Hell, let's start with some basketball. Michael Schwartz's team, 5-1 and one overall. And I think we all looked at the early portion of the schedule. We knew there were some winnable games, but this was really the first true litmus test of where this team is going to be under a new staff. And in many ways, I think they surprised some people. I think... You know, obviously losing the first game to Indiana State in the Gulf Coast Showcase wasn't ideal, but still, you played pretty well in that game. Showed a lot of fight once again after getting down pretty big in the second half. Had a chance to win the ball game. You know, to Indiana State's credit, they played well. Uh, Shot the ball better in ECU for the majority of the game, but then ECU just didn't hit the free throws down the stretch. Again, showed fight. Again, showed the ability to adjust and score at a more efficient rate in the second half, which has pretty much happened in every game. So you lose to Indiana State, and, I, and I, I'll say this, when they went down to play this tournament, you've got such a young team on the road. It's Thanksgiving week. I didn't really expect a whole lot, and you, you lose the first game. Then you're matched up with the preseason MAC favorite, a, a, a borderline top 25 team, Toledo. In the loser's bracket game, which was not ideal, you kind of looked at the bracket, you were like, all right, if you don't get past Indiana State, well, then you'll play UMKC, uh, Missouri-Kansas City in the second round. In the loser's bracket, you'll have a good opportunity at a win. All of a sudden, you lose the first game, and then Toledo lost the opening game of the tournament in a shocking fashion to Kansas City. So now you're getting a pissed-off Toledo team that is getting top 25 votes in the loser's bracket game on Tuesday. And I just thought ECU had a had a very tough situation heading into that game. And to their credit, got off to a tremendous start. Toledo answers back with a huge run. But ECU, seemingly, as they have all season, unfazed, puts together one of their best second halves uh, of the season, end up really winning comfortably against Toledo by 11 points, 86-75. to 75. Uh, to to record their first victory at the Gulf Coast Showcase. And 
It's a huge win on many levels. I can't remember the last time ECU won a neutral site contest or an away non-conference contest of that magnitude. You know, is it the biggest win in program history? No, but for a first-year coaching staff with a young team, that is a huge win. Can't overstate that enough. But then how are you going to follow that up? You have a big win. You got some success. You're playing your third game in three days against a team you're favored against, UT Arlington. And, you know, I figured it would be a little sloppy. I definitely didn't guarantee a victory. I don't think you can ever guarantee anything with ECU basketball. But after a sloppy start, ECU comes on strong at the end of the first half, takes an eight-point lead into the break, and then pulls away in the second half. Hit a bunch of threes early in the second half. Got several good defensive stops uh, at the end of the first half. Carried into the the beginning of the second half. Led to a 12-0 run. And really from that point on, they ended up building a 21-point lead. But rolled in the second half. Got a little sloppy late. Again, you're getting some young guys some playing time. That stuff is going to happen. But the Pirates end up winning the game 14 points. Uh, the difference, 79-65 to over Texas Arlington. And so you go 2-1 and one in the Gulf, Gulf Coast Showcase. And it's the first time the Pirates have had a winning record in a true multi-team event since 2004 in Raleigh at NC State. That year they beat Pepperdine and Oregon State back-to-back and then ended up losing to NC State in the championship game. But uh, So 18 years in between, there have been some other tournaments ECU's played fairly well in, but to go on the road... Go 2-1 and one with a young basketball team I think is a massive confidence boost. We continue to see this team develop in several areas. Defensively continues to be what Coach Schwartz is pushing for, but really this team's ability to score the basketball early this season has been the surprise. There have still been lulls in offensive play, and there have been uh, you know times where the defense has struggled, specifically in giving up a lot of baskets close to the basket. They're guarding the three-point line heavily right now. And I think ideally down the line when this team has the personnel that Coach Schwartz really wants to have, they'll have a shot blocker who can kind of clean up some of those misses in the paint if a guy gets beat off the dribble. But you can tell there's a clear emphasis on stopping teams from beating them beyond the arc. They did it against Indiana State, a really good shooting team. Indiana State had to go inside to beat ECU or beat them off the dribble. Same thing happened with Toledo. Uh, and the Pirates have also done a really good job on the glass. They have not been out-rebounded. I don't think they were out-rebounded much at all uh, early this season, and they definitely weren't over the last two games against two really good rebounding teams. So even though ECU not the biggest team in the world, if you're going to be a defensive, tough-minded basketball team like Coach Schwartz wants them to be, you got to win on the glass. That's when the defensive possession ends, and obviously you want to end the possession defensively as soon as possible and turn it into an offensive position. In order to do that, you have to rebound well. So I think we're seeing a lot of early building blocks for Coach Schwartz. We're seeing a lot of guys emerge. The thing I like most about this team, they continue to play 11, 12 guys a night. Obviously, Javon Small has been tremendous. You can't say enough good things about how much progress he's made from his freshman to his sophomore year, and Brandon Johnson as well. Both those guys have played off each other, and really it kind of opens up the entire offense when they can play the pick-and-pop game at the top of the key and they're in together. But we've seen other guys. Quentin DeBunje has shown the ability to hit the three consistently. Caleb LeCount, depending upon matchups, can beat teams off the dribble and can shoot it pretty well. We've also seen 
other guys at times, like R.J. Felton, be a threat offensively driving the basketball, definitely getting putbacks and also defending well. Today we saw Winston Tabs step up in a major way. We've seen flashes from Jaden Walker. Uh, we've seen flashes from Benjamin Baela. There's been all sorts of guys who have shown ability. Valentino Pinedo, Ezra Osar, all those guys have shown the capability of scoring in their playing time. David Kasanganai, uh, the, fre- or the uh, former transfer from Navy. So, look, I mean, this rotation is going to be get a little bit more cut down as they get into some of these more tough non-conference games, but have to be really encouraged what we're seeing early in the process by Coach Schwartz. I know we got a couple of basketball questions we'll get to here in a second, but 5-1 and one start, uh, about as good as you could ask for. If they would have hit their free throws against Indiana State, could be 6-0 and oh right now. At the end of the day, they've beaten the teams they should beat, and then they had a big win over Toledo and had a near win over Indiana State when they were an 8.5-point underdog. So lots of good things to like. Big game this Saturday. At ODU, first true road game. Pirates haven't won in Norfolk since 2004 in a series that's been going on a while. Obviously, former CAA rivals. Uh, And so this should be a fun game on Saturday night. Of course, the football game will be at 1 p.m. in Philly. And then the Old Dominion game will be at 7 p.m. in Norfolk. Right now, we got our intern, Kaysen Romaley. He's been on the podcast in the past. He's scheduled to cover the ODU game for us in Norfolk. I'll be in Philly covering the Temple game. So we'll have coverage at both spots for you guys looking to follow along. All right, let's answer our first question from you guys. Uh, Christian Bateman on Twitter wants to know, would you call Tuesday's win against Toledo a statement win? And do you see us beating South Carolina and Old Dominion? Well, first off, I I don't know. Statement win is the right terminology. Um. You know, it depends on what your definition of a statement win is. You know, for me, I just think it was a really good win. I don't think it it was a statement win. To me, like a statement win is, hey, if you're off to a good start in conference, two and one, three and one, whatever, and then you go on the road and beat, I don't know what the conference schedule is off the top of my head, but you go on the road and beat a really good team like a Cincinnati or a Memphis or something like that on the road. Like that to me is a statement win that you're for real. Like it was a really quality win. I'm not ready to say it was a statement win. I think this team still has a lot to prove, uh, but definitely a major building block win. I would say as far as going on the road and beating ODU and then the neutral site game against South Carolina, I certainly wouldn't say that I, you know, I can see ECU winning those games for sure. Would I pick them to win right now? No. I mean, we're still talking about an ECU program that has historically really struggled on the road uh, over the course of their history. You're going into enemy territory. You're a true road game. ODU, historically a really good home team. We know that the Monarchs have talent, great basketball tradition. They're off to a solid start this year. You know, they're 3-3. Three and three. They got a 19-point win over Maryland Eastern Shore. They did lose at Drexel by 12. They beat Virginia Wesleyan comfortably. Then they went down to the Charleston Classic, had three good games there. Uh, Almost beat Virginia Tech in the neutral site, beat Furman by five, and then lost to Davidson by five. So three quality competition games, got one win, had two close losses. They're a a solid team. We know Jeff Jones is a really good coach. ECU did beat them twice twice last season but again this is a 
a situation where both those games, one was in Greenville, one was at a neutral site. Now you're going on the road. I guarantee you they've had this game circled. It's a big game for a lot of their players. They've got a pretty veteran team, several seniors and juniors. So uh, another tough, tough game. But one EC would probably be a, a, I would say, a slight underdog in, but one they can go on and win. I think a lot of it will be can you take your defense uh, and your shooting on the road. EC has shot the ball really well in the second half recently uh, in particular, and they're going to have to defend. Defense travels. This will be a really good test in a tough environment to play in. As far as South Carolina, uh, they've got a really young team for the most part and also a first-year coach. Similar situation to ECU. They do have a lot of talent. Uh, as evidenced by their schedule, they've been very up and down. They beat South Carolina State by three. They beat Clemson by two. But then they lost to Colorado State by 32, lost to Davison, and lost to Furman by 19. So they got swept in the Charleston Classic, the same classic that ODU was in and uh, they have to play uh, several games before taking on the Pirates in the neutral site game in Greenville, South Carolina on December 17th. So a lot of time between then and now for both ECU and South Carolina. I expect both those teams to look quite a bit different. That was a little bit tougher for me to predict, uh, but I would assume South Carolina is a slight favor in that one as well. So again, two winnable games. I'm not going to sit here and pick ECU to win uh, one or the other, I would say if the Pirates can go one and one in those two games, then you're doing pretty good. Also, of course, you've got the big UNCW game on December 6th. But nothing, look, here's the deal with this basketball team. Extremely young, every game is going to be a test. I don't care if they're huge favorites against South Carolina State. I mean, they were down 23-4 to to Presbyterian in the second game of the year, so... There's going to be ups and downs. I know people are excited. Here's my advice on the basketball front. Enjoy the ride for what it is. Yes, the results matter. It's a results win-oriented business. But I think the the most uh, important thing to keep in mind is enjoy the ride. Just appreciate what Coach Schwartz and his staff are building. Appreciate the effort, whether the shots fall or not, whether they execute perfectly or not. As long as they're playing hard, as long as they're showing progress in certain areas, I think people can enjoy the product, and hopefully fans start showing up for these games more as the season goes along. We all know basketball, it takes a while for uh, you know for the football fever to wear off, and then for fans to really start tuning in, especially once the calendar turns to January. I find that the, the you know, the anticipation for the games, the build-up for the games at that point. Once conference play started, it really gets going. So hopefully ECU can continue to play well through non-conference. And then once conference starts in late December, we really have a lot of excitement at that time, especially when the students get back in town. But just enjoy the ride. Don't get so caught up in the results. Obviously, you won't see ECU win. But as long as ECU enjoys the process, our ECU fans enjoy the process, and also the players focus on the process. The results ultimately will take care of themselves, but certainly a lot to be excited about for the reasons that we mentioned already. All right, moving to baseball, the schedule came out on Wednesday, and we got our first look. Always an exciting time when the the schedule in any major sport drops. Baseball, no different. The season will start on February 17th. The Pirates will not travel for any weekend series outside of the Sunday game against North Carolina. 
So they start at home against George Washington in a three-game series on February 17th. You've got your always uh, road opener, it seems like, at Campbell on the Tuesday after the opening home series. It's a tradition unlike any other at Jim Perry Stadium in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. But here are your home non-conference series. And again, all these will be at home outside of the Sunday game for the three-game set against UNC. So George Washington to begin with, two games in Greenville on February 24th and 25th against UNC before the Sunday game at UNC. You've got the LeClaire Classic, really good field this year, specifically with Indiana and Long Beach State. Georgetown also coming in. Uh, Indiana and Long Beach historically are two tournament teams most years. Uh, the Pirates will then welcome in Liberty for a three-game set in early March. Again, a tournament-caliber team. Another tournament-caliber team most years, Missouri State, comes to town March 17th through the 19th. That'll be another good non-conference home series. And then George Mason, another quality program in the region in late March as well. You also got um, your usual midweek foes, in-state foes, games against Duke. Elon, UNCW, Campbell, uh, NC State, Old Dominion. Also some interesting games in neutral sites as the Pirates will take on Campbell in Fayetteville, North Carolina, as well as home and away. So three games against the Camels, including a neutral site contest. The Pirates will also take on Charlotte in Truist Park, uh, which is where the Charlotte Knights play. So you got neutral site contests in Charlotte, got a neutral site contest in Fayetteville and then you've got other regional road midweek games against Old Dominion at NC State also at Campbell as we mentioned at UNCW at Elon Uh, there's also a game at Queens University in Kannapolis North Carolina Queens just making the move from D2 to D1 Pirates will be on spring break that week so that's why they're going on the road to Queens and also to Elon so you've got three neutral site games, and you've also got uh, several big home and road games. As always, the Pirates will open American play at Houston in late March, early April. They also host UCF and Cincinnati in back-to-back series before going to Wichita, hosting Tulane, getting the return trip at Cincy, and then hosting Memphis for the final regular season weekend series and going on the road to South Florida. My thoughts on the schedule, uh, I believe it was Toby who asked on Twitter. Uh, he says, what do you think about ECU's baseball schedule? Lots of quality opponents. Personally, like seeing those neutral site games in different places. Would love to see them get a neutral site game in Greensboro or Winston for the triad fans and alums. Yeah, I think it's a, honestly, I think it's one of the best schedules Cliff Godwin has drawn up, obviously. Coach Palumbo plays a big role as well, I know, in the scheduling. So, uh, phenomenal schedule. I, I think it's it's one of the best. Um, you've got lots, and I mean lots, of good RPI games. Certainly an opportunity to build with wins at home, but you also have enough neutral and road games in there to where you're not going to get um, you know, too home happy as far as the RPI goes. You know, the league should be – winnable again but also tough but you balance that out with a really tough non-conference schedule and then those those midweek road games and obviously the home games as well those are all big RPI boosters as the season goes along so I think it's a great schedule a challenging schedule 
as the Pirates typically play in baseball, but uh, should be another fun year on the diamond in 2023. All right, let's switch gears. We'll talk football on the other side. We've got several football questions. We haven't even gotten into more reaction from the uh, 42-3 loss to Houston, but we'll mainly turn our focus to the Temple game. We'll preview that, what to expect in Lincoln Financial Field on Saturday, and also make our predictions to end the show. But we'll answer your questions and dive more into the matchup against the Owls on the other side. You're listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found to the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm Stephen Igo. We are now switching gears to football. We talked basketball and baseball earlier. Now let's get into this matchup. It is the regular season finale, and it's a big game for ECU. The difference between 6-6 six and six and 7-5 and five is critical. Uh, winning season can be guaranteed with a victory on Saturday. I know we've got some questions about the team's mindset coming off the Houston debacle. We'll get into that in a second. Just a few words first on Temple, what they bring to the table. Don't be fooled by the record, 3-8 and eight, under first-year head coach Stan Drayton. Uh, but they have improved steadily throughout the year. Look, there were some off-kilter performances early in the season, up-and-down performances, as you would expect, under a first-time head coach. Duke beat them 30 to nothing in the opener, but they do have wins over Lafayette, which they won 30-14. to 14. They beat Bumas, which is a bad team, but beat them 28-0. to zero which kind of shows their potential on defense, and they also hammered South Florida 54-28 to for their first win in the American under Coach Drayton. Some of their losses have been highly competitive. A solid Rutgers team, they only fell 16-14 to in a lower-scoring game against Memphis. It was a really tight game until the fourth quarter. The Tigers ended up pulling away and won 24-3, but again, another good defensive showing. They hung with Tulsa 27-16, took Navy to overtime, lost 27-20, similar to ECU. The one big outlier was the 70-13 beatdown against UCF. Again, that was kind of a weird Thursday night game, tough week. Should have beaten Houston, lost 43-36. We all know what Houston just did to ECU. That should be a wake-up call. I think they threw for 480 yards in that game against the Cougars. And then against Cincinnati this past week, a little bit more of a return to earth. Uh, lost 23-3, only had 202 yards of offense in the setback at home. But, uh, again, defense has played well most of the season. Offense has, has had flashes at times of being good, especially throwing the football. Running the ball has been an issue for them. 85 yards rushing per game, not going to get it done. 
Um, they're only averaging 3.1 yards per carry, which is one of the, the worst numbers in college football. But ever since E.J. Warner, the son of Kurt Warner, kind of took the, the starting job at the head of the offense earlier this season, they've been a capable passing team. Uh, they have made some mistakes through the year, as you would expect, with a true freshman quarterback. The offensive line's been okay. Um, Warner is completing 58% of his passes, 13 touchdowns, 11 picks. He's averaging 250 yards passing per game. So they'll air it out, and they've got a solid receiving core led by Jose Barbone. Uh, one of their receivers, Adonicus Sanders, sounds like he will likely miss the game, or at least if he does play, he won't be 100%. they got a couple tight ends. They also get their backs involved in the receiving game. So a solid offense, nothing like what ECU saw against Houston. On defense, they get after the passer. They send a lot of exotic blitzes. One of their top defensive linemen, um, Darian Varner, a guy ECU recruited a little bit out of high school. He will likely miss the game due to a foot injury. So the Pirates catch a break there. But they got another edge rusher, Leighton Jordan, who's got 18 and a half tackles for loss, nine sacks. Uh, their linebacker, Jordan Maggie, also has 82 tackles, eight tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. They got good corners as well. Interesting to note, they are giving up 4.4 yards per rush and 190.1 yards per game. So they rank near the bottom of the country in the run defense. Statistically, they are good against the pass in terms of they're only giving up 188 passing yards per game. But if you dive further into the numbers, and they do have some solid corners, but if you dive further into the numbers, they're allowing uh, 7.16 yards per attempt. They rank just 102nd nationally in pass efficiency defense. So when teams are throwing the ball, they have had success. So it'll be interesting to see how ECU approaches it. On Saturday, the Owls do like to try and maintain the ball, maintain possession, take some time off the clock to help out their team. I mean, realistically, they are a little bit down in terms of talent compared to what they've been in the past. So they certainly still have talented players, but uh, their their coaching staff has tried to protect them at times. The one thing that is hurting them is they are negative 9 or 10, I believe, in turnover margin. They have been one of the worst teams in the country in turnover margin, haven't really created a bunch of takeaways, and again, they've had trouble holding on to the football. 11 picks by Warner, also some fumbles too. So, interesting team, tough place to play. Again, not like it's going to be loud, but from the standpoint of it's a cavern stadium, it's Thanksgiving weekend, so you're going to have an opportunity to play an NFL stadium, but nobody's going to be there. So you got to bring your own energy. That's never a uh, great thing. Uh, Temple on special teams, they've been solid. Kicking game, Camden Price is 12 of 13 on field goal attempts. Uh, his long is 49. The punting has been just okay. Kickoffs is Rory Bell. He has kicked five touchbacks and 49 attempts, so there should be some return opportunities there for the Pirates in the return game. We all know what the issues have been on ECU on special teams, but at least last week was a a pretty productive outing as far as special teams go. Uh, and so hopefully the Pirates can continue that heading to Temple. All right, let's get into some of your questions before we make our game prediction. First up is Pirate Treasure NC. He says, insights on Mike Houston's long meeting with the team and coaches. Um, I don't have like the inside scoop on what exactly went down other than 
I know that the coaching staff was, I think, a little concerned going into the Houston game based on just some of the demeanor of the team, and I'm sure that was addressed in a prompt manner. And we got more insight from the players, specifically Jara Wilson, who we know is on kind of the leadership council, the leadership of the team as a fifth-year guy. He said really there was obviously a lot talked about in the team meeting, but then it sounds like there was a leadership council meeting after Sunday's practice as well where the coaching staff and specifically Mike Houston went further into what the issues were going into the Houston game. And look, I don't know truly how much the mental side of things played a role in the outcome of that game, but at least it, it, it had to have played somewhat of a role. I just don't think you get that result without it playing somewhat of a role. And certainly you have to credit the Cougars for playing their best game of the year. That had a lot to do with ECU playing its worst game of the year. But, you know, it just felt like the vibe was off. And I think this week it has been returned to normal. There's an expectation, a standard now for this program that these older guys have left or that have built and will leave with the program. And I think there's a strong desire to bounce back this Saturday in Philly. I think it was addressed. I think the guys are ticked off, and I expect them to bounce back at Temple and will be disappointed if they do not. Uh, Pirate Treasure also says, who should we worry about from Temple and who needs to improve the most from last week's game? Well, everybody needs to improve. Um, definitely the the offensive front, Holt Nailers, the receivers got to catch passes, the DBs, uh, they've got to cover tighter. they got to play more aggressive coverage. The The pass rush has to get home. So, I mean, everybody, uh, just about everybody. Uh, as far as who should EC worry the most about from Temple, mentioned the defensive end, Jordan, earlier. Offensively, uh, Barb Bone is dangerous out wide at receiver. But don't sleep on some of these other guys. They got a couple of good tight ends. Uh, Edward Sadie is the running back, physical kid, 4.4 yards per carry. He's kind of the one to watch on the ground. Uh, but they've got some sneaky talent on defense. One of their corners, Jalen McMurray, has had a really solid season. You know, there are also some other guys. Uh, Zach Gill is a big defensive tackle. I don't know what his, how much he's playing, but I remember him as a former uh, UNC defensive tackle recruit, really talented kid, big guy. So they got some size and they got some talent. And just because they're 3-8, and eight, don't sleep on them for, for sure. All right, John Moody says, thoughts on the bowl landing spots. Uh, continue to hear mixed things, like going into – one of the recent games, I think it was Houston. Yeah, going to the Houston game, there was some talk from a national college football writer. I know that the Military Bowl wanted ECU back, but then there's been talk in recent days that the Military Bowl is a long shot due to ECU going there last year. I, I think the issue is last year it was such a known thing, and really the ECU uh, or the Military Bowl preferred ECU, and once it became clear that Cincinnati was going to an access bowl, uh, the Pirates were the easy choice for the Military Bowl, so that was sewed up early. I don't expect that to happen. Remember, EC was basically the first team that learned about its bowl destination last year. Typically, you have to wait until after the conference championship uh, weekend due to the pecking order. I think that's more what we'll be looking at this year. There are rumors that the Fenway Bowl could very much be in play, that the Fenway Bowl would like a regional team, but... You look at it from their perspective, if they want Cincinnati and Cincinnati ends up not making the Access Bowl, not winning the American, you know, they make a lot of sense to go to Fenway 
or they could go to military once again as well. Like Cincinnati makes sense in both those spots. Um, and then if you're the military bowl too, maybe you want somebody different than ECU just to kind of mix it up. You know, the team went there last year, you know, the fans went there last year, so they may want to get ECU back down the road and not make it back to back years, even though the game was not played. Um, so thoughts on the bowl landing spots are, I think there's a lot still in play, John. I don't think anything's sewn up. There's a pecking order. And I think it kind of depends on how things play out. Like, you know, if Tulane beats Cincinnati and Cincinnati's not in the ASC title picture, maybe it becomes a little bit clearer because at that point we know Cincinnati will likely be going to either Fenway or military. That can be sewn up pretty quickly. And once we know where Cincinnati's going, we're probably going to have a much clearer picture of where ECU's going because there you have two of your East Coast teams, two of your teams in the in the region, so to speak. Also, UCF could play a role as an East Coast team, and they're in the AAC title picture as well. So still a lot to play out, but I think where the Cincinnati domino falls could play a big role in uh, where the ECU domino falls. And uh, John also says, any idea who might replace BYU on the 2024 schedule? I heard John say they were in talks to push it back a year. And the game will be pushed back to 2025. And so you'll host BYU in 2025 along with traveling to NC State Marshall. Uh, do not know who at this time will be replaced for 2024 as far as replacing BYU. Right now, you've got Norfolk State scheduled for 831 as a season opener uh, at ODU and then App State in week three. You're not going to add a second FCS team, so you're looking at another FBS team there as well. You know, 2024 in the scheduling world is pretty much right around the corner. I do know at one time EC was looking at potentially going to NC State that year. I think the Wolfpack ended up finding another game, so now you're looking at other opportunities. You've already got two non-conference home games that season, so you are kind of flexible there. You could parlay maybe a road non-conference game into a potential home-and-home, or if you get a really good opportunity to host a non-conference team as a seventh home game, you could take that as well. So you do have some flexibility, but the problem is there's not that many options on the table. I think Southern Miss, FIU, or a couple other teams in play. Um, the Southern Miss thing is interesting. ECU already going to travel a lot for the American. Southern Miss is an intriguing game due to the robbery aspect, but it's not a regional game. So do you want to travel more, potentially in addition to what you already travel with in the American? And as much as Pirate fans appreciate the Southern Miss robbery, is it a game that's going to sell tickets? I don't know. I, 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 for one, would love to see Southern Miss back on the schedule because I think that rivalry is the best true rivalry ECU's had in football over the years. But I don't think it's it's one that's going to move the, you know, move the scale for the casual fan, so to speak. So I've got mixed feelings about it, and maybe it's a situation where if you're John Gilbert, you hold on to your cards as long as possible, and maybe with all this conference realignment. You catch a break and a you know a power five team or whatever needs a home game uh, in 2024 and you can parlay that into a home and home down the road get a return game so I think that's kind of the approach right now um, I'll try to get Gilbert um, on the record after the season as far as an interview to kind of talk about what the options are there because 2024 not too far away for sure um, all right now our next question comes from. Adam, he says, are you getting an early read 
from the team regarding their anticipation with the bowl game would assume they're all in max effort due to the lengthy absence and last year's cancellation. Kudos on kudos on live tweeting during the games. How do you do it along with watching and game analysis? Um, as far as the live tweeting, I've done it. Obviously, I have my laptop in the press box. If it was on my phone, there's no way I could do it because I type pretty fast on my phone, but I, I there's no way I could do that and uh, watch the game and live tweet. So having the laptop and the access to high-speed internet certainly helps. And, you know, usually in the press box, we're really up top. We're high up, so you get a good view of the field. You get to see plays unfold, um, almost like, you know, what the coaches are seeing high up top. You get the all-22 film in many respects. And then you've got TV monitors and most press box so you can see replays, all that sort of stuff. We've got live stats. So we have a lot at our disposal. But, you know, certainly it, there's a difference between just watching the game for pleasure and working. So, But I, I enjoy it. You know, I've grown into it. Uh, the more experience you get, the better you get at processing what is happening and being able to analyze it, diagnose it as much as possible in the moment. You know, for true football analysis, you have to go back and watch a play four or five times to really understand what happened on most football plays. And so a lot of your true football analysis goes into after the game and reviewing it then, but we try to do what we can in the moment for sure. And thanks for the kind words. Um, Early read on the team, anticipating the bowl game, I, I think... I think they're definitely ready to go to a bowl game and actually play in one. The experience of doing that last year was great, but the guys want to play in a bowl game. And I honestly think that played somewhat of a role in the, in the Houston game. Not that the pirates were already looking ahead to like what bowl they could go to or anything. But I think with the conference championship off the table, that carrot no longer out there. It's almost like, all right, what do we really have to play for in these final two games? We can say, hey, we want to get the nine wins, but what really is the difference between nine and six wins or seven wins or eight wins? And I just felt like there was not enough focus going into the particular game heading into it. And that combined with senior day, combined with the no longer having a conference championship, I think that that played a role in just it all creating the perfect storm for a poor perform performance along with Houston having a great performance and we saw the result we got but I think regardless of what happens this week win or lose there's going to be great anticipation there's going to be great build up for the football team going into the bowl because they haven't played in so long um, obviously last year they made it but they weren't able to play so guys like Holt Naylor's guys like Miles Berry, Xavier Smith, they're going to be jacked playing a bowl game regardless of if it's in the cold, in the heat, whatever. They're going to be ready. I can promise you that. Um, it will be weird, though, because you'll have guys with the transfer portal window from every team in America. The, the transfer portal window lasts basically, for, I think, from December 5th through the 14th or somewhere around there. And so you're going to have most of the guys across the country that want to transfer enter the portal before bowl season. So it's going to create some really awkward situations and I'll be interested to see are there any guys in the portal that enter the portal in that window that end up playing in the bowl game only to transfer for good or make their decision after the bowl game. So, Because guys can enter the portal and they can make their decision after the bowl game. They just have to be officially in the portal in that window to commit to a different school down the line. So who knows? We'll see how it, uh, how it plays out. But I definitely think they'll be ready for the bowl game. 
Uh, Austin says, is there anyone on the roster or coming in next year that has the potential to fill the void? Isaiah Winstead is leaving. His ability to high point the football seems elite. Yeah, I mean, they that's been a, a huge addition. Isaiah's been huge to the team this year. So it was a great thing that the Pirates went out and got him. The, the thing that's most positive about that is there's going to be a lot of similar receivers in the portal this offseason, whether they're grad transfers or multi-year transfers that have his skill set. The Pirates can now show them, hey, here's what Isaiah Winstead did as a one-year transfer. Imagine what you could do in this offense. That's a huge selling point. Uh, you do have a couple of young guys in the program who are still developing you know, continue to want to see Taji Hudson, who is uh, looks like he's redshirting this year with an injury. He's got big athleticism, good size, 6'3", 6'4". Is he ever going to turn into that guy on the outside? I don't know, but possibly with another year of development. Um, Malik LeBarrett is a high school kid who has committed great size, great physicality, but he's a true freshman. He'll be a true freshman next year. How much can you count on a true freshman? I don't know. I think the most realistic option is you got to go to the portal and get a guy who's very similar to Winstead. And I think it's it's a much more doable thing now than it was a couple years ago due to the access of the portal and also due to ECU's success on the field and the likelihood of they'll have a 1,000-yard example to sell in Isaiah Winstead. But I definitely think they'll hit the portal for an answer there. Uh, Chuck, speaking of the portal, he wants to know, do you think ECU will be glancing into the portal for a QB next year? Or is it safe to assume Mason Garcia is quarterback one at the big house? You know, this is probably the most questions, or the the question I'll get most early this offseason, because I think it'll be answered quickly. Um, I've got conflicting thoughts on it. I think they want Mason to be the guy, but at the other side of it, you have to make sure you get this answer right if you're the coaching staff because it can make or break your season. You could have all the pieces in place. If Mason turns out not to be the guy at quarterback, it doesn't matter. You have to have a quarterback or nothing else matters. So they've been grooming Mason Garcia to take this opportunity and run with it. But if he's not ready, and if he's never ready, then you could cost yourself a chance at a great season. And it's never been easier to go get a transfer quarterback and a really good proven transfer quarterback than right now. So you've got that opportunity in front of you, or you could stick with Garcia having been groomed in the offense, having been groomed for three years now behind Holt Nailers. Give him the reins completely, say you're the guy. You'll get the number one reps all spring, all summer, all preseason. It's your job. They could play it either way, and I would understand it. The coaches know best more than anybody. They've seen Mason every rep he's had in practice over the last three years. They should know at this point if he's ready to become the guy, if they have any doubt whether or not he is. To me, that signals you got to go find another quarterback. Um, even if you don't expect that quarterback to outright win the job, at least to push Mason, because outside of Garcia, nobody else on your roster has real game experience. Alex Flynn has a snap. Ryan Stubblefield has never taken a snap at the Division One level. So I can see both sides of it, but ultimately up to the coaching staff. The way you phrase your question, they'll at least, they'll at least glance into the portal for a quarterback. Whether or not they go to get one is another discussion entirely. My gut says one way or another they're going to add a transfer quarterback 
this offseason. And that's not any inside information or anything. That's just my gut on I think you always want to protect yourself if you're a major Division One college coach. Even if Mason is your guy, let's say he gets hurt or anything happens in spring ball, any freak deal, you always want to have the opportunity to go get another quarterback or to have an insurance policy. And so that's something that uh, I think will play out. But you could also let Mason be the number one guy through spring, and if he doesn't make the required jump, as I said earlier, there will be another um, there will be another portal wave after the spring, another portal window, and so you could get another quarterback then. But definitely an intriguing question. There's no doubt about it. Uh, our last question comes from Alex. He says, "What chance does ECU?" Have to win the World Cup. Hashtag Go Pirates. He, of course, has the Ecuador flag um, shown up on Twitter. And I used to be a big hashtag guy on social media, but lately have gotten kind of away from it. And so it used to drive me nuts when I would do the hashtag ECU and the damn Ecuador flag would come up during the World Cup time. And it would just drive me nuts. But now I've gotten away from it. Maybe I'll bring it back just so I can see the flag because it is kind of cool as far as ECU's chances to win the World Cup Ecuador's chances not too high although they do have a solid club they're 1-0 in the World Cup they actually play my favorite non-US team on Friday the Netherlands and so I'm excited about that matchup and I'll probably watch some of it uh, or at least listen to it as I make the drive to Philly but uh, I'm going to say that Ecuador is not exactly a favorite to win the World Cup I do think they've got a chance to make it out of their group, but I don't think they'll make it much further than that. All right, we've talked World Cup. We've talked ECU basketball. We've talked baseball, and we've talked football. We've talked transfer portal. We've talked bowl game. We've talked Houston, and we've talked Temple. It is time for predictions and time to wrap up this baby so I can get some sleep, get ready to eat some turkey tomorrow. Um... So, you know, you have the camp that's like, wow, how the hell was ECU a a two-touchdown favorite at Temple after laying a complete egg against Houston? Well, here's the way the betting world works, all right? They set the line so people bet one way or the other. They're not trying to necessarily predict what's going to happen. But what they do is, and I think the line opened at 12, went to 14, and is now back around 10 or so. Um which tells me that people are heavily betting on Temple. But you have such a reactionary part of the world or the, the sports world that reacts so much to what happened the week prior. They say ECU laid an absolute dud against Houston. There's like, there's no way I'm laying money on ECU again. But then you've got the bounce back factor. Pirates should be pissed off. They should be ready to go, ready to prove that the Houston game was a fluke. Tom will tell if that actually happens or not, but... There's a reason that the Pirates are favored in this game. They are the better team. If they go out and they execute and they don't turn it over and they play to their potential, they should win this game. Whether they win by 10 or 14, I don't know. It's not going to be easy for the reasons we've discussed throughout this podcast. Temple's an improving team. Uh, they, they've got fight. They've improved throughout the year. Solid defense. Solid quarterback. Capable of making plays. But to me, I just think... I think last week's result was a wake-up call to this team. I don't think that they're going to sit back and just digest that loss 
and the fashion in which they lost without coming back with some vengeance. So I think ECU rallies in a big way. Uh, I don't think it'll be the prettiest game in the world, but I do think uh, the Pirates will have control of this game for most of the day. I think Temple will hang around, and then I think ECU will get a big touchdown or two in the fourth quarter to really the foot on the throat and end the season with their seventh win of the regular season. I'm going to go East Carolina, 35, Temple, 20. And the Pirates cover the spread. They win by a couple of scores in Philly. And heading to bowl season 7-5, and five, and hopefully we find out not too long down the road where exactly they're going. But that's my prediction for the finale. Hope you guys have enjoyed the podcast. Hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. As I said earlier, if you're a new subscriber or a potential new subscriber, sign up now for our 75% off Black Friday special. More details on hoistthecolors.net. All right, we will be back with you guys after the game, or I should say games on Saturday. Again, we'll be in Philly and also in Norfolk for the basketball game against the Old Dominion Monarchs. We will talk to you then. Until then, enjoy your holiday, and thanks, everybody, for the support and for listening. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.